Hey, and welcome to Vineyard Cardiff's podcast. It's great to have you with us, whether you're enjoying a walk in the sun, whether you're doing your washing up, whatever you're doing right now, we're glad that you're with us. Today, we've got Alice Meads uh, beginning a new series, which we're really excited about, that's going to run over the next few weeks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Today we are starting a new series um, looking at the biblical theme of justice and compassion and we've called this series Act Justly, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. You may recognise that that is taken from the Old Testament prophet Micah chapter 5 verse 8 where it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And as we'll see that this idea is a theme that runs throughout the whole of scripture. You know, we could have picked any number of chapters to preach on throughout this series. And today, as I look at the first in this series, Act Justly, I'd actually like to look at a different Old Testament prophet to Micah. I'd like to look at Amos. Now, a bit of background to when Amos is writing. At this point in their history, the nation of Israel under the king Jeroboam, they've come into a time of success and prosperity. They had won lots of battles and amassed lots of wealth. And Jeroboam, he's full of arrogance and pride. He assumes that this prosperity is a sign of God's blessing and favour. He smugly assumes that God is just pleased with the job that he's doing as king. He thinks that Israel is being restored to its former glory. You know, when it was a nation under King David of importance and wealth and respect and happiness. And the people of Israel, they used to look to the day they called the day of the Lord, when Israel would be finally restored to all that it was under King David. But Jeroboam and the people of Israel are severely misguided, as we'll see. They are totally off track. The reality was that they are worshipping idols, not God, and that their wealth has been amassed by the oppression and exploitation of the poor. So enter Amos. Amos is um, a Judean shepherd. So he's living in Judah, which at this point was a separate country to Israel. And he has what I think is the unenviable calling um, from God to cross over the border from Judah to Israel to tell the people there, including the king, how misguided they are, that God was far from pleased with them, that this prosperity was definitely not a sign of his blessing and that the day of the Lord was indeed coming. But it wasn't going to be a day when Israel was restored to its former glory and prosperity, but that, in fact, it was going to be totally destroyed. Not a a popular message by Amos, I would imagine. You know, not one that people wanted to hear. I recently read an article about numerous scientists who have been speaking out over the last 30 years, warning that the biggest threat to our modern way of life would be a virus. Not a message that people wanted to hear, one that they feel was largely ignored, but devastatingly, as it turns out, one that was spot on. And Amos, likewise, he's sharing a message that no one wanted to hear, but was totally spot on. Some 30 years later after writing, the Assyrian army would swoop into Israel and the whole country would be decimated. And as we look at the words of Amos here, we will see the heart of God speaking to them, his concern for the powerless and victims of injustice. So let's jump in and have a look for ourselves. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5, starting at verse 7. 
And this is what the Lord says through Amos. There are those of you who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a binding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. I'm just going to pause there to explain that bit. You know, as I said, the people of Israel are worshipping idols and these verses are making it clear that God and God alone is the creator. He is the one who has made the stars, the Pleiades, the seas, day and night, the water that pours over the earth, rainfall. These are things that he created and they are not to be worshipped in themselves. They're not gods in themselves. There is no other God but him. And this is what God is concerned about as he continues verse 10 there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain therefore though you have built stone mansions you will not live in them though you have planted lush vineyards you will not drink their wine for I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Again, I'll just pause. Did you notice a bit of a gear change there? So he's corrected their worship of idols. And then he starts to challenge them um, of their, their exploitation of the poor. Just see the connection there, that, that their worship of other gods is ultimately corrupting their hearts and causing them to perpetrate great acts of injustice. You know, we just read that people are oppressing the poor, they're taxing them heavily to make themselves all the more wealthy. The court system apparently is full of bribery, meaning that there's no protection for the most vulnerable against the most powerful. The whole system, it seems, is rotten to the core and injustice is rife. And Amos then, from verse 16 onward, goes on to talk about the day of the Lord that is coming, the Assyrian army that is going to march in 30 years' time. And Amos talks about that. Let's jump back in into verse 21 where he says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Two key words here, justice and righteousness. They often, they come as a pair here and they often come as a pair throughout scripture. In verse 7, we're told how the people of God have turned justice sour you know, like old milk that's gone off, gross. And they've trampled righteousness into the ground, total disregard for it. And then in verse 24, God commands that instead, justice should roll like a river, righteousness should run like flowing water. Now, when we think of the word righteousness, we often think of it maybe in a moral sense, you know, regarding to our private morality, our sexual purity, our prayer life, or something like that. I mean, at least that's how often I, kind of the first thing that comes to my mind, like how good we are, the choices that we make. But righteousness in the Hebrew word, the word sadaka, actually refers to this idea moreover of kind of right relationships. And of course, those personal choices that we make have an impact. But think about this kind of in terms of our relationship with God. You know, that Jesus' death on the cross was so that we could be righteous before God, washed of all our sin, that our relationship with him could be restored. And sadaka goes beyond this. 
this idea that, 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 that having been made right with God, we are then committed to making relationships right with one another. Sadaka is recognizing that we've all been made in the image of God, Genesis 1:24, and then relating to one another with that high value in mind. That's what it means to live righteously. Just think about that for a minute in your own life. Do you treat other people around you with the understanding that they are made in God's image and are therefore deeply valuable? Are you righteous in the way that you treat people? Justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, and it's used in the Bible um, sometimes to talk about retributive justice, you know, punishment for doing wrong. But moreover, more often it's used in a bigger sense to refer to restorative justice. So not just punishment for wrong, but making things right, acting to create righteousness. You know, seeing where people are not being treated as if they were made in the image of God and therefore have value. Um, and, choose, and, and then taking steps to put that right. A friend, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and uh, she was speaking to me about the concept of othering. And this is a social construction used over centuries to create emotional distance from a particular pe uh, people group in order to justify, to try to justify the injustice being done to them. You know, it's different for them. They're not like us. Let me be clear. The Bible does not allow for this. Does not allow for othering. You know, Jesus challenges this very concept of othering in the story of the Good Samaritan, where he picks a Samaritan, someone who was who was thought of as other in that culture, and makes him the hero of the story. The Bible does not allow for this. We are all made in God's image. There is no other. And it is an act of injustice to see it any other way. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to look at racial injustice and how, as followers of Jesus, we should respond. And we really want to create space to do that well. So I'm not going to try and squeeze that into this talk here. But just to say that we are going to come back and look at this in more detail in a few weeks' time. Today, I'm just going to talk about justice in a more general terms. So as I said, these words, justice and um, righteousness, they come as a pair throughout Scripture. And when you put them together, when they appear side by side in Scripture, mishpat and sadaka, justice and righteousness, the best English rendering we have them, the way it's often translated in the English Bibles is this, social justice. So social justice, relating to each other as made in God's image and making it right when we see that people are not being treated in this way. Justice and righteousness, social justice. And as we read here, it's God's heart that this abounds. Verse 24, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Why? Well, God is a God of justice. It's at the core of who he is. It matters to him that people are treated rightly. And this idea was sown right into the story of the people of Israel. You know, this nation that Amos is speaking to was a nation whose ancestors had been deeply oppressed. They had suffered huge amounts of injustice as slaves under the Egyptians. And God had swooped in, if you know the story in Exodus, he swoops in and he delivers them from their oppressors. That was their redemptive story. That was right at the heart of their identity as a nation. That, that God had saved them, that he was a God of justice. And then God takes this idea of who he is, this key part of his nature, and he weaves it right into their very laws for how they should then live, their blueprint for how they were to function as his people. And the theme of justice and compassion runs throughout the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, as it's called. And if you were to take the Mosaic law and compare it with other law codes that were around in that same time, 
you would notice a huge difference. If you put them side by side, like on a comparison website, and you matched up all the different features of these laws, the different law codes were around, that were around at that time, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, would have stood, would have stood out in one huge way. It showed a massive concern that people be treated well, that the most vulnerable be looked after, that people were dealt with with compassion and justice and fairness. No other law codes around at that time had anything like that. Justice matters to God, our God, the King. Justice is a hallmark of the kingdom. We've just finished a series, haven't we, on uh, advancing the kingdom. And in some ways you could argue that this series is a kind of continuation of that series. Justice is a hallmark of the kingdom. Jesus makes this clear from the get-go. You know, just think of the moment we looked at a few weeks ago when Jesus marches into the synagogue at the beginning of his kingdom mission and he describes what it was that he had come to do. Quoting from Isaiah 61, he says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And Jesus, right up until the day he died, he challenged the injustice that he saw around him, speaking up for the powerless and the oppressed people of that day. You know, women, children, the poor, the disabled, ethnic minorities. And he restored them to their importance as people made in the image of God. That was part of advancing the kingdom. This is part of advancing the kingdom. Justice matters to the king. Our God is a God of justice. So secondly, we are therefore called to be likewise, a people of justice. You know, God seems to make it clear here that we can't claim to have any understanding of him and not understand this. We can't claim to worship him fully, to understand his heart, to align our priorities with his priorities and not be a people of justice and compassion. You know, look back at the passage, verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for them. So we see that their token worship of God is deeply misguided. God is not fooled by their empty religious offerings when their hearts are so disconnected from the very things that he cares about the most. He hears the cry of the poor louder than any token of worship that they have to offer. Yeah, the hypocrisy of it, to worship the God of justice and then perpetuate injustice yourself. The hypocrisy of a people who had once been oppressed becoming the oppressors. You know, it says, you know, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. They've become the oppressors. They've forgotten who they were and who God is. And they look nothing like the God they say they worship because they are actually worshipping something else. You know, they're worshipping idols. They're making something else God. And this is leading them to, to committing great injustices. Are you worshipping something else? Is that causing your heart to be hardened towards others? You know, I remember um, several years ago now driving home from church one Sunday morning and um, I had my uh, sons in the back. And uh, as, as used to be the case, was stuck in traffic getting through town. And I remember one of them spoke up and said, Mummy, why is that man just sat in that doorway there? And I looked out and I saw this homeless man just sitting in the doorway. And um, I turned around and I looked at my son and I said, Well, do you know what, darling? He's homeless. He doesn't have a home. This is where he lives. He sleeps on the streets. 
And do you know, I will never forget the look on his face as, as the thought of that hit him, as that struck him. Just the blood drained from his face and he looked just totally devastated. And I remember in that moment realising that his heart was a reflection of God's heart in that moment, you know? And that my heart, I've just been worshipping in church and I've just, you know, oh yeah, another homeless person. And I saw the glimpse of God's heart speaking through my son as, as his heart was broken, that that should be the case. A heart that said, no, that is not okay. And I remember in that moment, Lord, you know, praying, Lord, let my heart be broken for this stuff. This is not okay. It's not okay. You know, throughout the Bible, God makes it clear that true worship of him, a true understanding of his heart, should result in us acting justly and living compassionately. This is not an add-on extra. You know, this isn't like an optional seminar at a conference for those of us that like social issues. It's all interlinked. Do you see that? It's all interlinked. It's right at the heart of us understanding who God is and us understanding our story, what he has done for us. Tim Keller says this, an encounter with his grace inevitably leads to a life of justice. You know, we have a God who has overcome the oppressor, the enemy, and set us free from our sin. He became unrighteousness for our sake so that we could be set free, that we could be in right relationship with our Father. That is pure grace and it should change us from the inside out. Just picture in your mind a dashboard of a car. You know, and there are some things that the Bible says are key indicators, you know, think of that dashboard, of whether we really understand the heart of God, whether our hearts are aligned with his, whether we are truly worshipping him or not. And it's funny because they're not, I think, I don't think that they're always the things that would come to mind. How we spend our money is one of them. The words that come out of our mouth is another. And our heart for justice and compassion is another. And it's a big one. Do you see, it's an output of our understanding of the story of grace, our story of grace. It's not something that we have to do. You know, I'm not trying to lay something heavy on you as I speak, but it's something that we can't not do when we glimpse the heart of God for the oppressed and for the powerless. And if we don't get this, then think of it as a warning sign on that dashboard that maybe we've missed him altogether. We've missed the heart of God altogether. Just listen to how the message translates those verses 21 to 24 that I just read says this, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. That's the heart of God. How are we to respond? Well, I think the first thing is we respond with a heart response ourselves. You know, I read those verses the other day in the message and I cried. I remember, you know, remember when we read the words of Amos that he is calling the people of God to repent, to turn back, to come back to their first love. Yahweh the Lord. Maybe that's the first step for you, to repent of where you might have been worshipping something else and therefore becoming hard-hearted. Come back to your first love. Worship, you know, in its fullest sense of living a life, may letting God be God. 
Worship keeps us in that place of repentance. It keeps our hearts soft. It keeps us seeing people how God sees them as people made in his image and therefore deeply valuable. As I said, understanding that, that is the key. That is at the heart of biblical justice. This is a heart response first. Sit under his grace first. This stuff isn't law, you know. It begins with grace. So don't let guilt be a motivation here, you know. Instead, be encouraged. This is something that we get to do. How amazing is it that this stuff matters to God? Imagine if God didn't care about this stuff, if we lived with a worldview that some people mattered and some people don't. What an awful way to live. I love that this is what God is about. I love that about God. And, you know, as our culture talks a lot about justice at the moment and what that means, I love that we get to say that that is right at the heart of who God is. Right in the middle of the kingdom mission of Jesus. Amazing. It starts with a heart response and then we act, you know, act justly. It leads to action. Now, this might feel a bit overwhelming. It's hard to know where to start. You know, injustice in Amos's time was literally happening directly right in front of them. You know, we talked about the bribery of the court system of that time. They used to, um, to do all of their kind of court system at the city gates on the way in. And the kind of elders, the local judges would gather at the gates and make decisions. And that's where this bribery was happening. It was literally happening right in front of them. That's not always the case for us. We can feel a bit removed sometimes. And we can also feel overwhelmed. Let me just start with a reassurance, if that's how you're feeling, that this stuff is worked out over a lifetime. You know, the reality is that living a life of justice where we recognise the God-given value of each person and act to make it right, where that uh, people are not being treated as such, this is a call to a self-giving way of life. It's a radical, deep commitment to preferring others above ourselves. And this is a lifetime worked out step by step with Jesus as we apprentice ourselves to him. This is a lifetime of abiding in him, sharing his heart and living differently as a result. But we can start now. We can start today. Let me offer this thought as a starter for 10. Doing justice is worked out over lots of smaller decisions each day and a handful of large decisions made over a lifetime. Lots of smaller decisions. Things like what we buy, you know, cheap fashion often comes from factories with horrific working conditions on the other side of the world. How to run your business, you know, paying the tax that you should, paying people enough. Choosing to call out racism or hate speech when you encounter it. Making decisions that look after our planet. I mean, I could keep going. <laughs> I want to say that I'm on a journey with this stuff. I'm not saying, you know, that if you wandered into my house, should you be allowed to at the moment, that everything you'd see would be ethically sourced and sustainable and so on. And I said that these are small decisions. Um, some are smaller than others. They are all significant decisions. I would also point out that all these decisions are potentially inconvenient or uncomfortable. But that's what it takes to live a life of justice. It's inconvenient and uncomfortable at times. What decision could you make today to act more justly? What's one thing you could start doing today to act more justly? Maybe have a think, write it down, share it in your small groups this week, share it to someone in your household, be accountable about that. What is one thing you could start to do differently? So it's lots of smaller decisions and then a handful of huge ones. You know, I think that the Lord burdens individual issues of justice on us to give our lifetime to. And these look different, a particular area of injustice. 
for different ones of us, you know, like Amos, who could not bear what he was seeing any longer, and he crossed over the border into Israel to take a stand against it. I read this last week about a lady called Jessie Donaldson from Swansea, and she was an anti-slavery campaigner, and then she moved out, and then later on in her life, you know, she wasn't a spring chicken, she moved over to Ohio in the United States in 1854, and she set up a safe house for slaves freeing from slavery from the Deep South. Her lifetime's work has only recently really been discovered and honoured. One big decision from one brave lady to take a stand against injustice and make a difference. Or more personal one to Matt and I, you know, we used to live in London and we worked for a charity called Spear and um, that was set up to end youth unemployment. And God had burdened the guy that set it up, a guy called Tom Jackson. He had burdened him for a generation of young people growing up in poverty in London, stuck in generational unemployment with very little hope and very little chance of change. And if you chat to him, his vision is bold, you know, to restore hope and purpose to young people in the UK, not even just London, but throughout the whole UK and in Spear and now has centres all around the UK. One big decision by one brave guy to take a stand. I feel like as I do this talk that the Lord is putting certain areas of injustice on people's hearts today. Something that he is burning your heart for, just like when I looked at my son and I saw a glimpse of God's heart in that moment. He is giving you a glimpse of his heart for a particular area of injustice that he is calling for you to dedicate a lifetime to, of, of, of campaigning, of advocating, of going right to the very heart, the system that's causing that injustice. Maybe the season of COVID has meant that you've put whatever it is he's called you to on the back burner. Ask God today what to do with the burden that he's put on you, this burden for injustice. How he's asking you to act justly. Our God is a God of justice. It matters to him that people are treated with value because we are made in his image. And as people that are called to advance the kingdom here on earth, we are called to bring justice and righteousness wherever we go. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Amen.